This is it, Australian Survivor talking tribal for all you Survivor diehards out there. We're discussing blood versus water, the last three episodes. If you haven't watched them, make sure you check out 10 Play because there's spoilers everywhere and we're going to be talking about exactly what happened over the last few episodes. So make sure you've caught up so you know exactly what's going on. Joining us this week, as always, our panel of experts, world survivor expert, podcaster extraordinaire, Shannon is with us. Of course, the king of Bankstown himself, George, from last year's season, and our reigning sole survivor, Queen Haley. Guys, what a week we had. Loved ones ripped apart, other loved ones reunited. A bit of a surprise with uh, Sandra, of course. And it's hard to know, even know where to start. But let's check in with you to begin, Haley. What was your biggest moment, your favorite part, or maybe a player who emerged who surprised you? It has been such a big week of Survivor. I said at the start of this talking travel season that you are going to need your tissues, and I was not wrong. It was devastating this week. Two loved ones voting out their loved ones. It was very sad to watch. I understand the reasoning for why they did it, but it didn't make it any easier for those players. So those two moments had to be the biggest for the week. Losing Queen Sandra, such an epic moment. And when she looked to Nina and she knew, like a mother knows their daughter, when she could tell it was her time that was up, it broke my heart. So that was the moment of the week for me. Yeah, we've only ever had one person vote their loved one out in Survivor history to this point. And then we had two in a row in the same week. So I think for me, that was really kind of the theme of the week and what I was really interested in. Just psychologically, even that difference of like the dynasty continuing with Nina, that kind of being passed down to her and her inheriting that. I feel like as a child, often you like receive from your parents. So it felt kind of like a more comfortable position to be doing that. And then with KJ and Sophie, I felt it was quite different because KJ is like the older protective sister. And I feel like Sophie just in life as a public figure is often like the protagonist. And it was KJ taking that opportunity that I think she really got from Sophie to come on basically as her loved one um, and stepping into that opportunity herself. So I feel like there was a little bit of a clash there and maybe like her values versus the inherently self-interested game of Survivor. And I thought that was psychologically pretty fascinating. I think what I enjoyed in this third week is we're finally starting to see some of the players come out and shine into the fall. Nina's really dominating the game. I mean, Haley pointed out she didn't even tell her own mother that she was being voted out. It was nice to see someone like Josh reveal his cards a little bit. He's playing a real quiet, strategic game, and he really pulled off that move there in getting rid of Amy when he sensed a threat against his cousin. But my favourite moment for the week was Chrissy finding that idol clue. This is a person who comes out and makes it very clear to everyone. She's never watched Survivor before, but boy, is she getting the basics right. She spots a clue. She gets the clue, doesn't tell a soul, and then manages to get an idol that nobody knows about. This is Survivor 101 from the person that knows least about the game, and she's absolutely nailing it. Yeah, were you guys impressed, Hayley, about Chrissy? Not just how she's played the game, but how she's managed to keep her cool as well, having really not understood the game as well as other players. Yeah, you better watch out. Chrissy is playing an excellent game of Survivor. Her threat level is nice and low, exactly where she wants it to be. The part of her saying, I don't know really how to play this game, I think really does help. She has excellent social connections. You can tell she's an amazing 
mum outside of the game and she's bringing that nurturing into the game, which is really important when people are feeling um, lonely out there. And yeah, now she's reunited with Croc. She's found another idol. This time they're not telling anyone because Sandra has told Croc, don't tell anyone about your idol. And I love that they're not going to. Yeah, she's she's really nailing it. I'm, I love watching Chrissy. Shannon, for you, can you talk a little bit about how the dynamic is sometimes different with players who maybe don't know the game as well versus people who go in knowing all the numbers and the strategy and have watched seasons before how they approach the game and, and how that ends up being sometimes a benefit for the rookie. Yeah, I think it can go either way, just like Survivor. Basically, just use whatever skill sets you, you have to your advantage. So often we do see super fans kind of get in their own head because it means so much to them and the pressure of that means that they'll kind of flame out. And there are a few historic examples of that across the global franchise where it's kind of freeing to be someone who kind of doesn't know, the bar is set low, they can play just the game that they want to play. But then, of course, we saw with the, the people on the panel right here, George and Haley had that fandom. They had that knowledge. They knew how to split a vote. And maybe some people in their class didn't have that knowledge and they kind of brought that experience that you would think could kind of match it to that. So I think it's either way. Uh, If you're not a fan and you go on, I guess you're not watching this, but, you know, use that freedom to your advantage. And if you are a fan, try and stay out of your own head uh, and use your knowledge to your advantage. So it really just depends how you use it. I think the real point of difference for Chrissy is um, she might not have the experience and the background in the game of Survivor, but she's really good at implementing everything that she needs to do to get done. Like Haley said, she's got phenomenal relationships with everybody on her tribe, but a lot of fans come on Survivor and they just don't have the capacity to implement. It's all well and good to know what to do, but to be able to do it is something very, very different. And we've got a few fans Already on that water tribe, we know that Jesse's a super fan, but he's taking instructions. He's not finding clues. But with Chrissy, it's the polar opposite. She's doing everything you need to do out there and more. She's absolutely dominating it. My only concern for her moving forward is whether the conditions are starting to take a toll on her and whether that will impact the middle part of the game for her. But we did see Chrissy do incredibly well at that challenge this week. So so let's see. As long as she can keep adapting her game. And let's see what happens now that she's got Croc on the same tribe as her. Because we've lost two people this week from having been on the same tribe as their loved one. So that is obviously creating a target. So fingers crossed that that doesn't become the demise of Croc or Chrissy. Yeah, I think we've seen that a bit from Chrissy. You know, I think people underestimate how good she is at challenges. Obviously, she's not dominating, but... She's more than carrying her own towards the end of a lot of these challenges. Can you guys very quickly talk about that? Like sometimes there are people maybe who physically don't look like they can dominate, but just they have an ability to stick around on challenges. We saw that in your series and and we've seen that in different versions as well. Yeah, I think that um, you can be really surprised. You would assume that there might be a certain kind of physique that is the best for challenges, but they really do spread themselves so that they cater to each person's different strengths. We saw Wei in our season come out of nowhere and dominate um, an individual immunity challenge. It was such an amazing moment for everyone there. And yeah, I, I don't think you can always predict the, set, the kind of person who's going to win a challenge. There haven't been many puzzles in this um, season of Blood Vertical Water yet, but um, I think the important thing for Chrissy with challenges is that she's contributing. And in Australian Survivor, the easiest target is to go down lines of physical weakness. 
um, and she hasn't got that target on her back, not on her truck. Shannon, very quickly, can you talk about Chrissy and Croc? Obviously, they're a pair and they're super close, but they've managed to sort of go under the radar in terms of a pair that have a threat level in this game as opposed to some of the other partnerships. Yeah, I mean, of the four pairs that remain together, obviously two were split up and Josh and Jordan were targeted but managed to persevere through that. So I really think it's just about the relationships that you come into the tribe with. I think Croc comes in with a few relationships. I think Chrissy had relationships and seems to be bonding already with people she's just met, someone like Sam. They seem to be having a lot of strategic conversations. On the other side, Josh's relationships clearly kept Jordan pretty well insulated as well. So I think that Sophie's kind of negative relationships with people, Sandra's huge threat level, even more than the pair thing is probably why they went home. So it just really shows that, as always, Survivor is a game of relationships. And to mitigate that threat level as a pair, like you have to have other bonds. Of course, one of the big moments this week was the tribe swap. How do you think that played out, Haley? Who do you think that benefited the most? And did anything surprise you? Yeah, I think what was quite surprising was the moment where Mark got to make a decision about which tribe he went to. I think this was a big moment. Mark made a very strategic and in my mind, quite a sensible decision to separate himself from Sam. We can see, obviously, that the pairs, um, for multiple reasons, were targeted this week. So very smart for him to not be with her. And I'm pretty sure he made a pretty quick assessment that he had a lot of alliance members from his original water tribe that were on the new blood. That would benefit him. If he went there, he'd be in the majority of singles rather than couples. So there were lots of nice added benefits to him to go over to that new blood tribe. And I found that quite an interesting decision. When you have a tribe swap, it's a chance to shift gears in the game. You've got to be able to adapt to different circumstances that the survivor guys throw at you. And I absolutely agree with Haley. Mark is the person that has navigated this tribe swap the best. He has been involved in every single conversation prior to tribal council in that new red tribe. He's someone that is an obvious target. He's a returning player. He's a huge physical threat. He's got a phenomenal social game, yet his name has not come up once. If there's anybody that has navigated this tribe swap phenomenally so far, it's definitely Mark Wales. Yeah, I love that they gave him that decision. I love giving the players choices at any time. And it was so novel to just be like, pick a side, especially with the blood versus water theme kind of muddying that up. But yeah, I also really liked his decision to not go with Sam. I think the issue might be just like the transparency about how strategic that just seems to not go with your wife. And also just physically, it means that had he gone to Sam's tribe, I don't know that they would have lost a challenge. Now he has the short-term risk that one of them will always be up for elimination, but he's really backing both of their connections, Sam's OG blood majority, his OG water majority, and the relationships that he has on that tribe. So I think in just kind of dividing and conquering, they create like a more diverse portfolio of relationships. And he even says like they'll come to merge with a very, very strong group. So I think maybe short-term risk, but for long-term rewards. And I really back that decision. All right. So let's just check in with that red tribe there. After the swap, we've got Amy, Geordie, Mark, Mel, David, Shay, Jordan, and Josh Reno, as well as Sandra and Nina, which was a big moment for so many reasons. Nina didn't look like she was super pleased to be reunited with her mum. What did you guys make of that moment? George, tell us about your initial reaction and do you think Nina was right to be a bit upset about how this was playing out considering how she was playing the game? 
I think Nina is thinking about winning the crown and the title of sole survivor, and she knows that if she had to defend Sandra, who's the most obvious target in Australian survivor history on a new tribe, that will jeopardise her chance of getting to the end game. Nina's someone that read the room, the easy fruit for the picking, her mother, Queen Sandra, was taken out, and she played this extremely well. She didn't tell her mum, so she can't be accused of not being loyal to her original blue alliance that has the numbers on this new red tribe. And as we've seen in the next couple of episodes, she's still a swing vote with no target on her back. Hayley, what about Jordan and Josh? Do you think the tribe has made a bit of a mistake letting them stay together and become so strong? Because they have got a bit of a power couple thing going on now. Look, I think that depends on whose perspective you're looking at. From Josh's perspective, he's been in this majority on the original water tribe. And so it is good for him to stick around. It is good for the other water tribe members to keep him around. And if he brings in an extra number with his cousin, then that's a really good thing. So I can see from that perspective of having those numbers that it might make more sense for them to get rid of the original blood which was Amy. So I don't think that it was a bad decision. I know that they're two strong guys, but I would expect that there are some other strong people there that are looking at keeping a bunch of shields around. Yeah, the dynamics on that tribe are very much around that OG water majority taking out people that are a threat basically to that alliance. I don't know that it's necessarily on pairs and individuals. Like Sandra was a threat in her own right. Amy was OG blood and was doing her own stuff, obviously, and coming for Jordan. So that's where the power lies. I also think that you have to think long-term and in terms of targeting pairs, like there might be another swap. There's definitely soon to be a merge and most people still have their loved one there. So you might want to keep going with kind of a pairs mentality and start kind of reverting back to taking out those individuals, which I think could happen. Like maybe they will take out Khan, who's been so threatening. Maybe, you know, Dave's on the bottom. He doesn't have a loved one, stuff like that. And then get to emerge with strong pairs because if you're taking out someone because they're a duo in your tribe, and then you're going to merge with your pair and be a duo. Um, at that point, maybe it'll come back on you. Yeah, it's an interesting point, Shannon. So what I think Josh was successful at doing was integrating Jordan into the broader water alliance. The question that I have is, did Nina miss an opportunity in not going into bat for her mother? Yes, we all know that Sandra's a huge threat because of just her reputation in the game. But the fact that she's there means that she's always an obvious target in a future vote. Perhaps Nina considered um, the opportunity of defending her mother to someone like Mark, who seems to be the pivot in every single decision, but she took the more risk-averse approach and just cut her mother loose. I want to give a little shout-out to Juicy Dave here because I would have expected that the split would have been on Amy and Dave because they're both original red tribe but they split it on mel that could have to do with strength that could have to do with them not really feeling like mel is a strong part of the original blue but they the fact that they didn't split it on dave kind of shows that he's learned from his mistakes of the first week and he is burying in laying low and and he's getting through so be interesting to see how far he goes i do think that that might be strength based and i also think that uh, we see a little bit of an all-men thing happening. Geordie credits that when Sandra goes, it's an all-blue thing, and it's also an all-guys thing. And we see Mark 
Geordie, Josh and Jordan chatting and kind of consolidating something as well. So I think that Geordie is really following Sandra's advice, ironically, in taking her out, but in general, just in doing what works for him. He knows that he's an OG water. He knows that he is a man. And I think it's keeping around numbers that kind of fit into that profile and that he can work with in those kind of demographic groups. I think this tribal council was a real wake-up call for Mel. I mean, imagine being told to vote one way and she voted successfully for Amy and then having the shock of your life realising that you're the backup. There's a time and a place for hiding in the shadows and being under the radar, but you can play under the radar very passively, like Mel seems to be doing, or you could do it deliberately to disguise your threat level, like Mark and Sandra have been doing for this entire game. I hope Mel realises that it's time to come out, show a bit of endeavour and try and move the numbers against her because if she's going to be a perennial backup, eventually she's going to go. Shannon, you make an interesting point that I haven't actually thought of yet. We have lost eight players so far. That is an interesting thought about are the men really trying to stick together? Did they watch last season and see that we had George as the alpha male left at the end and they... They want to make sure that they've got a lot of guys at the back end of this game. Let's see what happens there. Um, Lots of women leaving the game. Yeah, I think when you have big threats who go out for other reasons, someone like Sandra, Sophie, who had her own stuff going on, I mean, just those dynamics playing out. Sometimes you don't even have to create the trend to just see this trend starting without you and then jumping onto it. So if you are a guy and you see all the girls going and you think, all right, well, then if that's the trend, I'm going to be safe. Like you might just jump onto it without it having been your intention. So maybe that's what's happening. I personally don't think there's an all-boys alliance happening. I mean, the only player, ironically, that tried to form an all-boys alliance was Sophie, and um, she got voted out for other reasons. It's a, it's a question of circumstance. I mean, Jordan was a target and an option in this vote. The real pivot was Nina, and Nina decided it was better for her game to stay as Josh's number two and to get rid of Amy. I don't think Nina got rid of Amy because she was another woman. I just can't help it. There's so many strong guys. And if I'm a strong guy and I'm entering this game, I'm trying to think, when am I going to be a target? And the answer is once you get to merge, individual challenges, you're a target. So how do I mitigate that? I make sure there's heaps of other strong men around so they can't just pick me off. And I'm not, I wouldn't be kind of surprised if that is a bit of the mentality happening out there to keep the strength around, not so that you win challenges, but so that you're not the main obvious target come merge. Also, Geordie did actively vocalise saying that Sandra wasn't part of Blue or a man. So I think that it's definitely something that they're thinking about. And we see those conversations between the strong guys. Like, I don't know that it's driving anything, but I think it's it's obviously on their minds. That makes it um, really interesting, the argument that Sandra made when she was being voted out. And it is a fair argument. She knows this game better than anybody, that the weak band together and they vote out the strong. But a lot of people sitting at that tribal council would consider themselves strong. So I don't know if that was a great argument sitting there to motivate strong people to then um, vote out another strong person. But if we think about the vote off of Amy, Amy walked up to a person that she thought was loyal to her in Shay, and Shay just ran off to these big, strong boys, if we're going to paraphrase them like that, and banded together with them. I, I don't think this blood tribe is as simplistic as boys against girls. No, but I think Shay is a... I put Shay in the big, strong people category. <laughs> She's very impressive physically. And then this is where you needed a King George to make the weak dominate from the outset. But the real downfall for Amy was when she walked up and told her plan to Shay. I mean, 
Amy thought Shay was loyal to her and Shay just ran off to the boys and the vote turned against Amy. Yeah, I think that that as well, like that's a little bit on Amy. Like she's in a tough spot with the swap, but not to read that she doesn't have the numbers there. She might have had to take a different path rather than trying to flip the whole vote with numbers she didn't have, try and kind of eke it out with some individual relationships until merge. But I think obviously it does show with Shay's connection to OG Water. I think it is OG Water that are really pushing the numbers uh, on that side. I don't think it's guys versus girls or anything. I just think that there's like the consideration of just what the numbers are and who's kind of in your alliance and how you can kind of stick with the broad demographic. So it's clearly quite uh, complicated, but I think led by OG Water. Let's quickly get to the Blue Tribe. There we've got Sam, Michelle, Khan, Ben, Jesse, Sophie, KJ, and Kristen Kroc, of course, who have been reunited. Haley, we talked a little bit about that, Kristen Kroc being reunited. How strong is that tribe as a whole and their partnership after this tribe swap? I think that this new water tribe is doing a similar thing that we see on the new blood in that we have a majority that were originally together on their, on their first tribe. And so we see that when they target someone like Sophie, they're trying to finish the business that they started the first time around. So um, a similar dynamic is happening. Those original tribes, when you do a swap, they really matter. They're bringing in extra partners. Um, but I think that's sort of the dynamic that's leading this again. What I'm really enjoying about the dynamic on this new water tribe is you have King Khan and the true power broker from the original Bloods in Sam Gash starting to work together and actually control the outcome of the vote. You've got two people here that realise that if they work together, they're going to decrease their chances of getting voted out individually, despite the fact that the couples are on the other tribe. Between the two of them, you've got Khan who roped in Chrissy and you've got Sam who roped in Jesse, and then everything else essentially just falls into place. Sophie was an easy picking because she was part of a true steal between the two power brokers. What will be interesting to see is how that unfolds if they start losing future challenges. What's your sense there, Shannon, of what it looks like going forward for this tribe? I feel that New Water have picked up kind of the voting structure of Old Water, which is basically just to have like a big homogenous group that is dictated by central social players like Sam Gash, for example, that is kind of picking off people on the bottom or what they consider problem people like Sophie, for example. So I think it was kind of an easy vote for them to go for Sophie. It was consensus. She's already been voted out. And now they're kind of talking about in the future, maybe some other people that are on the bottom. But I think Khan is always a threat. I mean, he's got that idol hold, uh, burning a hole in his pocket. I think that's a worry for him. And ironically, it might have solved a lot of problems had he been able to get that idol to Amy. I know that she... Uh, was blindsided, but she might have not wanted to make as many waves, ironically, on the on the blood tribe uh, if she kind of had some safety there and thought that maybe there were other ways she could go to play more from the bottom. So then he would have got rid of the idol, which is definitely the reason that he's being painted in such a threatening light or one of the several reasons. So maybe there was something there where he could have passed the idol to her because I think that as long as he has it, he will continue to be basically have his name in the conversations. I want to talk very quickly about that decision. And we touched on it before that Mark decided not to join the Blue Tribe. Sam was pretty convinced that she was going to be with her boy and, and had an idea in her head about how that would play out. Of course, it didn't fall that way. When you're there in the game, Haley, and something happens that affects you as emotionally as it did to Sam, 
how do you sort of bounce back from that and how do you get back and your head in the game when you've been affected so deeply by something? It really depends on what your approach um, to the game is. Sam has been very clear in telling us that she needs to separate emotions from strategy. And while we can see that she is upset in that moment that Mark doesn't choose to go with her, she backs him. You know, she she knows him inside and out. She knows that he's a clever person and he's going to make the right decision for either his game or hers, right? And in the end, they've said it before, as long as one of them can take it home, then that's that's a win for them. So I think that she knows that if he feels that's the right decision, that's okay. But um, yeah, it's it's fine to take stock and take a moment to be upset. I think that's yeah, a smart was. move. Yeah. Should we? Get rid of the coin. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Do it so now, because if you don't... Do you reckon Dave will do it? Or? Dave will do it. No, you just said I'm a, I'm a gun for hire. All right, so there's your fight. How do we do this without upsetting Nina? Do you reckon not tell her? Or do you reckon don't, don't say anything? I mean, we could tell her that there's a chance she could swing it. She mm. told us to tell no, her. she could get Shay to play an idol for her. And then mm. there's one of us going. Geordie, Mark and Josh deliberating whether to actually tell Nina about the plan to get rid of Sandra. It's a difficult decision. It was going to be either way. Love to hear your guys' thoughts very, very quickly. Shannon, starting with you, did they make the right call? Yeah, I think in Survivor that this is why blind size exists. You never want to tell someone they're going home or I guess that their mother is going home because you never know what they can do to stay around, especially with players like Nina and Sandra who are so skilled at the game. They're worried they could be an idol. Shay's idol could be played. Sandra could work her ridiculous magic on the game. And I think Nina had already given them that permission, had already explicitly stated how she would want that to go down, which is kind of to not be involved in that. So I think as allies, you know, you have that permission, you know, she's going to understand this really clear and obvious vote against such a threat. Um, And you can make that work there. She's already told you like, don't tell me, I don't want to be part of it. So you have basically her implicit permission there. Yeah, I completely agree. I think they made the right call not to tell Nina. As as Shan said, Nina gave them permission not to. Plus, Sandra's very perceptive. We all know that. And I'm sure the person she can read the most out of anyone is her daughter, who she has spent a lifetime raising. So if Nina knew the plan all day long, definitely, I think Sandra might have been able to read that a lot earlier on Nina's face. I mean, Nina was suspicious at one point that something was up. George, do you think... Nina had much of a choice there, prioritising her alliance over her connection with her mum. I think Nina had a very obvious choice there and she made an active choice. She decided to favour her longer-term prospects in the game by taking the easier route, which was not telling her mother that she was getting the votes at that tribal council and not doing anything to try and save her. But it's interesting that in all three now of the examples that we have of someone voting out a loved one, you know, they're not... They're not obviously driving that vote. They're not the the deciding vote on it, but they have to pile onto something that's happening anyway. And what they're left is, are you going to put on vote on someone, just throw a vote on someone you know you're going to wake up with tomorrow and possibly really upset a relationship? Or are you going to vote out your loved one, which is emotionally so hard, but clearly the right strategic move. So obviously all three of those people thought that it was worth it to to cast that vote for a loved one and show that loyalty to a tribe. But it's so interesting, Survivor, that it's just a game of personalities because we see the same move made by KJ and Nina and it's received so differently where Geordie's saying, wow, like Nina really showed her loyalty, which is obviously the intended effect. 
And Sam is saying about KJ, I can't trust this person. They're too ruthless. So it's a huge move to do it. And it's going to really affect the way you're perceived one way or the other. Yeah, you tap into something that's really interesting about this theme, Shannon, the idea that you're going to have to still have a relationship with this person after the game, which is not something that happens in a traditional season. I mean, Haley, for example, you know, you would have never have had to countenance what this person is going to think of you at elimination on the season you played, where in this one, you have to bring into account, wow, what if what I do here impacts a really important relationship that I have outside of the game? Yeah, it's very true. I would like to think that these partners have all come into the game having already had that conversation. You know that there could be a moment where you might have to cut ties with your loved one because it's the only way for you to move forward and you cannot do anything to save them. I do think that loved ones will understand that 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 is what they had to do. And as Shannon said, these loved ones aren't driving the vote. They're not pushing the votes towards their partner. They just can't do anything to stop it. So they don't want to be sitting in tribe the next morning, having written someone's name down who you know will still be in tribe because that's really a dangerous thing to have to navigate. Look, if it was my loved one, it would be so tough, but I would understand if they had to cut me. See, I don't quite agree. There's always an option. And then having lived through defending way at all costs and to the detriment of my game and defending and saving Kara at all costs to the detriment of my game and personal relationships, that's a choice you have to make. The real question is how does it get interpreted by the players that are left in the game? On Brains versus Brawn, it got interpreted very poorly by players that couldn't understand crude survivor mechanics. And I tell myself, I don't think this cast would interpret it, say, in that way, particularly on the Water Tribe. So by KJ voting out Sophie, Sam recognises that KJ is actually ruthless. She's deliberately hiding under the radar and is a potential threat. It elevated KJ's threat level. But on the on the Blood Tribe, it was just the fate accompli for Nina to do. She had to vote out her mother. But that's an active choice that Nina did. And if anything, um, that was Sandra's instruction. Do what you need to do for your own game. That was the Queen's parting words. Yeah, I mean, it was sad from a viewer's perspective to see Sandra go. But what was fascinating was her mastery right up until the end when she gets a sense that, you know, things aren't going to go her way. She manages almost to sway some people with her epic speech at Tribal. Let's have a quick look at that again. I don't think so. I don't think so. People always talk about staying strong and voting out the weakest. It doesn't matter really who you vote out because that doesn't mean that because that person is gone, now you're going to win everything because that is not how survival works. And if you think that, you better open your eyes. There's never been a tribe that dominates. Wake up. Mark, you know how it is. You're strong, you're happy now, you're gonna have rewards. But all these alpha males that win all these challenges at first, by the time it's every man for himself, just remember that the weak will always outnumber the strong and they will come after you one after the other. The first time you don't win that individual immunity, you will be going home. And that's why you need people that have your back. 
Shannon, a couple of things there. One, is that traditionally how it goes? Was Sandra right? And two, how often do we see people whose heads are on the chopping block make such a compelling argument at tribal that they can actually sway the vote? I think Sandra's broad point about putting relationships with physicality was very apt. I mean, you're going to get to emerge pretty soon. If they're voting her out at all on Challenge Trench, which was mentioned, it kind of doesn't make as much sense because you're already through to a swap and you're hoping to get to emerge soon. I think the problem with what Sandra was saying was that she was saying kind of keep around your connections because by the point that you are a threat later in the game, you're kind of going to need shields, which you could be, and you're going to need relationships to insulate you. The problem with that is that Sandra had to play this time quite an aggressive game. She cut through that OG blood tribe. She voted against most of the people on it in some way against their factions. She ended up on a swap with no one that she'd been connected to the whole time. So you can talk about, you know, keeping relationships around, but she getting into a bad swap there and having to play so aggressively earlier on because she's such a huge threat, didn't really even have those relationships to have it as kind of an argument over physicality. So I, the second I saw that swap for Sandra, I thought this is probably done for her. It was a really unfortunate group. That threat level was very, very clear. And I don't know that there's really much more that she could have done. Yeah, I found it um, an interesting argument. Sandra is not wrong. She knows this game very well. The weak almost always do band together to get rid of the strong. But I don't know if that was the right argument for that crowd, because if I'm Mark or Jordan or Josh or Geordie, or maybe even Shay, I could probably consider myself strong. And so if she's telling me that the weak, and she would be in that weak category, are going to band together and take me out, then I probably want to get rid of as many weak as I can. Um, and I'm sure that she would be someone who's amazing at corralling all of the week together. So I don't know if that was the right argument for that moment. Um, it, didn't, it didn't change their mind. Also, as Shannon says, there's very little that could be said at that point to, to change their minds. Sometimes you just dealt a bad deck of cards, and I think Sandra knew that the writing was against the wall. I mean, there were really not many options that Sandra could have taken um, after that immunity challenge and in that tribal scramble to save her own bacon. She wants Nina to have a legacy in the game. She essentially gave Nina free reign to do what was best for her game. And Nina decided to take out her mother. We were in a position where the queen went out with dignity. She went out with grace. And do you know what? The queen's legacy will live on. Long live the queen. <laughs> George, do you think she knew she was toast when she wanted her daughter to look into her eyes and she was like, don't, don't look at me, look at JLP. Do you think that's the moment she knew it was over? That she 100% knew it was over. The most difficult thing people struggle with at Tribal Council is eye contact. I remember on that vote when Wei was the casting vote to vote for me, the episode when Kara saved me, she couldn't look at me when she was walking back from the voting booth. And that's when you know that the nail was about to get driven into the dead corpse that you are just sitting there. So Sandra knew it was coming. She's highly perceptive, as we've discussed before. But what really impressed me was how she thought about her legacy. How do you want to be remembered in your final dying days? She went out there and she spoke about what's important to herself, what's important to the game of Survivor. And she went out as she came in, a legend. Yeah, and I love on her way that she was really speaking to the whole tribe and really felt like she was giving them advice and encouragement. No bad blood, just like, here's some tips, good luck, and I really hope one of you take it. It felt really kind, a really um, wonderful way to go out. 
another moment this week, of course, we saw someone have to vote or choosing to vote. Their loved one's name out was with KJ and Sophie. It felt in many ways a bit harder emotionally, this one, for KJ than it was for Nina. What was your take on that, Hayley? I think that this dynamic made it a little bit harder because um, Nina is Sandra's daughter. Sandra has played four times before and um, it's okay to kind of take that space and say, I'm here to play my game. Whereas KJ is the older sister of Sophie. Um, And as an older sister, that's really tough. Like I'm, I just want to protect my younger sister all the time. So to then vote out a younger sister because of that dynamic, that makes it a lot more difficult so if he hadn't voted out before, I don't think KJ felt like she could do anything to save her. But yeah, I think that that age um, difference makes it makes it really emotional. I think the dynamics as well are really interesting because Sandra's threat level obviously kind of always paints Nina as a target and she gets rid of that. But with KJ and Sophie, there was kind of a little bit more active clashes going on. I think that I've never really seen two such different people um, and their siblings, but as well their play styles and kind of their approach to the game. You see them kind of arguing about it at points where Sophie's like kind of got to like step into it and KJ is talking about the relationship game that she's been playing. They're just such different players that I don't know how they could work together in that way. And I feel like they were stepping on each other's toes. So I think there were interesting parts of this. Uh, KJ is told about the plan, but she's also like the second on the split where Nina isn't. They were both kind of risked their games in different ways, Nina and KJ, in kind of having that that loved one there who was in the spotlight and getting rid of it, I think, in ways should help them go through more cleanly. But then, of course, there is kind of the looming factor of the fact that they were a part of it. See, I think the key difference between the two is... Sandra had that moment when she realised it was coming and she accepted her destiny. And KJ and Sophie also had that moment, except Sophie reacted very differently to Queen Sandra. Sophie went out looking for an idol, knowing that if she played an idol for herself, her sister was toast. And KJ had that realisation. I think the real difference is that KJ has been playing quite an effective game of Australian Survivor. She has good relationships with people and she even started building a relationship with Sam that only started deteriorating when Sophie walked into that conversation behind the bushes. KJ had a very bold, difficult decision to make to detach herself from Sophie. She did it and now she's free to play her own game without it being distracted by her younger sister's more chaotic game. Just very quickly on Soph before we move on, does anyone want to weigh in there about two things? One, Sam and Soph's uh, dynamic at Tribal Council and also that idea that Soph had floated, that maybe they could have some sort of secret alliance, one that people would never have suspected. Sam Gash is playing Survivor in 2022. She's playing an elevated, exciting game that's strategic and not emotional. I feel like Sophie Keisha is playing Australian Survivor like it's season one, where you can just sit down and go loyalty and expect things to happen. It's disappointing that Sophie couldn't change gears. It's disappointing that Sophie held a grudge against Sam when Sam's just playing the game, the game that is there to be played. And really, uh, that was the downfall of Sophie Keisha on Australian Survivor. I found this tribal council very, very layered and interesting because we've already seen Sophie say to Sam, maybe we could just have kind of a truce, let's get rid of Khan. And Sophie, as far as we know, is under this impression that Khan is the target, but Khan can't know it because then Khan will play an idol. So it's in Sophie's interest 
to build up this rivalry between Sam and we sit there and see them at tribal council um, kind of firing off at each other. And while that might seem like, oh, that's really bad play by Sophie, on her side of things, she's trying to distract Khan because she thinks that's where the vote is going. So I thought that was very layered and very, very interesting to watch scenes. We knew everything sitting on the couch. Yeah, it was hard to know how real that was. Um, so I was very interested in that. But I have to disagree, George. I feel like Sophie didn't hold a grudge through to this week. I feel she rallied quite well this week. I really enjoyed her kind of offering that olive branch to Sam. Easier to do when you're in Sophie's position, when you're kind of the target, when Sam kind of doesn't need to work with you because she's okay. But she does put that forward, says, you know, like make it really dramatic, let's kind of fight about it so that Khan thinks that he uh, is safe. As well, when you're one of Flesh and Idol, you kind of want another target there so it doesn't come back on you. So kind of what KJ was doing last week, there's a lot of positives there for everyone, maybe to go for Khan and have Sophie be in the firing line in case he does play as Idol. She puts herself out there as a sacrificial lamb. She, she quotes uh, Matt Rogers and Dave and kind of reaching across in this alliance no one would see coming. Uh, so I thought she rallied well this week. I think that she never recovered from kind of the mistakes of the past, being a clear threat on OG blood, then reacting really, really strongly to that in the couple of days after. I think by now she's calmed down to think about it logically and strategically, but I think that at that point the die had just been cast. Of course, the other eliminated player this week was Amy. We touched on her before in this episode, how she sort of misread the room by sharing her intentions with Shay. Can I get you guys just to tell us, a little bit about your thoughts on how she played. I really enjoyed watching her as a player, what she could have done differently, and maybe how do you think Khan's going to react because we know that they're super close. Haley, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think Amy has played a really good game. Like she is someone who's quite social, but she was there um, having those conversations to try to make things happen. At this point, a tribe swap, when she is in a minority of what her original tribe was, it did look like the if nothing was pushed anywhere, the votes might have landed on Mel, who was an original blue. So that would be really good for Amy to just let that happen. I think just going for Josh or Jordan was probably obviously the mistake because she originally did have that relationship with Jordan. And when you're in a minority now, you just need to hold on to any of those relationships you have. But it was a tough road from the position she was put in. I think the problem that Amy had wasn't necessarily the fact that she wanted to come out and play the game and take out a threat in the power couple of Jordan and Josh. Amy's real problem were Juicy Dave and Geordie, who were essentially just going along with the majority. Amy didn't have the numbers to pull off what was a very smart and strategic move, but I think she moved just one step too quickly. Like you said, Haley, she could have just pulled off the nozzle just for one more tribal council. And in the event that blood lost again, after Mel had been voted off, then she could have tried and been more aggressive to split up Jordan and Josh. But it just happened one move too quickly. But I'd love to see Amy have another chance. That kind of player that tries to make magic happen is what I want to see on Australian Survivor. And hopefully we get to see her again. See, where I think she went wrong now that we're all kind of just going around the horn saying where we think she went wrong, but I understand wanting to take the game into your own hands. You got put on a really bad swap. And even if Mel, who was an OG water, goes home, basically just sitting there hoping they don't pick you off with no control over that and just waiting kind of for your day. 
Um, so I see wanting to flip the vote. I think her mistake was in misreading that she would have the numbers to go to Shay and then have Shay immediately run back to Josh just shows that she's misreading that relationship. It was done out of desperation, probably, but I wish she would have known that that wasn't an option for her. So yeah, if I was Amy and I think she was put in a really tough spot with the swap, obviously in a minority, I would have just been crossing my fingers, letting Mel go, pushing Dave under the bus if you could at some point, relying on a connection with Jordan, trying to get Khan's idol, anything you can do to just make it through individual moves, hope the tribe wins challenges and just eat it out to emerge because unfortunately for her, there was just no way and no numbers for her to ever kind of flip the vote and have the power on that tribe. Yeah, she's a great player, said Sega, but this is the nature of the show. So who, who needs to chat with their family about this stuff? When you've got this show, that's what we're here for. Still heaps more to come when George gets to catch up with the Queen herself, a one-on-one with Sandra, which will be very, very exciting. And also we explore the world of Survivor with Shannon as we talk about Sandra's curse. On the show, we do a segment called World of Survivor with Shannon where we do a deep dive into a certain aspect of Survivor gameplay or twists or something within the Survivor world that's caught our eye. And this week, we wanted to talk about the curse of Sandra Diaz-Twine, the idea that she's always eliminated on or thereabouts day 16. Shannon, when did this start? And tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah, so obviously when she gets eliminated, it's day 16. Two times she was never eliminated and she made it to day 39 and she won. But she's played four times before this, won the first two times. The third time was after a second swap in Game Changers. She was taken out of that swap. And the fourth time was after a swap in Winners at War where she was taken off one vote and an idol play from Denise. So it's definitely a weird statistical anomaly and coincidence that it's always day 16, but... I do think that for me, what really creates that and where the meaning is in that it's always the first tribal council after a swap. And I just think that other players on another camp watch her walk in every time and think, how is she still here? How is she not gone already? She's such a threat. It's probably building on these other tribes and she's not there to kind of shield herself with her usual charisma and social game because she's not on that beach. Then they swap and if they have the numbers or a trinket in an idol, they've just been thinking about it for 16 days and they have to take their shot. So that's why I just really feel that swaps in particular are a really, really tricky time for Sandra. Mm. Yeah, and we sort of saw that play out this time around as well, of course. Talk to us about the second time she won. Obviously, she goes on to Heroes versus Villains as a returning champion and she must have a big target on her back. How does she manage to weave her way through all the way to the end? Yeah, Sandra wasn't as big a threat as you would have thought on Heroes vs. Villains, being one of only four winners back in the game. But she also had the longest layoff of anyone playing in that season. She played Season 7. There were four players who played in All-Stars in Season 8, and then there was a bit of a longer gap. And also that cast was just so stacked with legends that there were so many threats. And Sandra was seen, I think, as a bit of an underrated winner. People didn't remember kind of what she could bring to the game. But I think that once she won that second time, And that was so historic and so legendary and so rare that for so long she was the only two-time winner. I think that at that point she had nowhere to hide. And you've seen that as she's come out since then in her three outings since including this, she's played a much more aggressive game. She can't rest as much as being underestimated, of course, because no one does as much anymore since she became the queen, since she literally donned the tiara. So she has to come out and play really strong out in front 
which I think she did in this season as well. And at a point, it will catch up to her because that threat level is just, it's, it's impossible to get away from. Can you put her in context? I mean, we talk about her as the queen, but can you put her gameplay in context compared to some of the other great champions we've seen in Survivor? What is it about her that she does so well and so different to other players, perhaps? Yeah, I've long said in my analysis of Survivor that I think awareness might be the most important skill. And I I truly think, especially after watching this season, just how good she's been in those first couple of weeks that I don't know that anyone matches her awareness. So I think in that just like specific superpower, it is like a sixth sense to her. It really is just the ability to adapt, to kind of feed off the environment around her that makes her so good. And there are some other legends who maybe are just kind of more of an immovable object. Someone like a boss Rob is going to come out and play the way that they want to play, bend people to that will, but she will adapt to her situation. And that's why I think it did become a more aggressive game since she became more of a threat since that second win. So I still think, wow, well, you know, what an incredible season from her. Uh, it was such a joy to have her. She made some epic, epic moves happen. But I just think that her, her swap tribes need to start winning a lot because it's really just that, that swap that's such a tricky spot for her. Yeah, it's, uh, it was great nonetheless to see her on her own shores for a change for any Survivor fan. Haley, we saw her get eliminated in large part because Geordie masterminded that plan. Uh, what did you make of the way he went about that? Yeah, I think Geordie did a really good job at getting everyone together to instigate this vote. I don't think it took a lot of convincing to suggest, why don't we go for Sandra? For someone like Mark or Jordan to be like, that sounds like a good idea. So yeah, I think that he did a good job. It didn't fall back on him as being really threatening to having taken out the Queen because he then was still in the majority of the next um, tribal council. So yeah, props to Geordie. George, from your perspective, obviously she's a big target, she's a big threat, but are there any benefits to sort of keeping her around? I mean, we've seen, you know, Croc has learned from her, Chrissy has learned from her. I think uh, Mel there was learning from her as well, or is it just too risky to have her around? See, I don't want to sound like Russell Hance here, but you keep Sandra around because do you know what? She's not going to win. She is somebody that if she was at the individual stage of the game, she would have a target on her back. She had a target on her back yesterday, today, tomorrow, the day after. She's someone that you could pitch their name at any time and then the majority will easily agree to vote her off like Geordie did this time. I mean, seeing Sandra get voted off was like seeing Australia beat American Samoa 31-0 in World Cup qualifying. You know it was going to happen. We didn't want it to happen. She was essentially the underdog on this season of Australian Survivor, and it did. What I would have been impressed by is seeing Jordan weaponize Sandra, take her under his fold, which is what would have been something innovative, and then chop her head off at a later date and then swing the Queen's head around and say, I got this, put it in my tool chest at a final tribal council. But he did it. She's gone. And the game's going to move on without her. Sandra's gone, but Nina is still in the game. This is our first blood versus water season. But around the world, have we seen someone with this level of agency stay and play without their loved one? Or is this sort of the first time, Shannon, as you uh, go into your deep reservoir of knowledge on Survivor? I think the example that comes to mind for me is Sierra voting out her mom in Laura Moret. Until this week, she was the only one to have like voted out her mom, which was such a headline making thing in Survivor such a game-changing move. I think Sierra kind of takes that legacy from Laura Moret, not that it, it equals Sandra's, but Sierra's going to go on to play, you know, three times and only a handful of seasons. 
goes on to kind of define really a certain section of Survivor through that really big move. But I think that Sierra voted Laura onto Redemption Island. Laura had already come back from Redemption Island. She had huge capacity to come back. You're going to see her on a jury tomorrow, even if she doesn't come back from Redemption Island. But Nina votes Sandra out of the game. Like she's saying goodbye for a month or adios, should I say. And I think that that was a really, really difficult but strong move. Like you really have to just let go at that point, trust yourself individually. You don't know how the game's going to play out because there's way too long left. You have to trust in your skills and relationships. So I think to really step out of that, I'm really interested to see in what Nina can do. Uh, Sandra has said, not entirely correctly, but she has said that people who write her name down don't tend to win. And Nina just did. So like, how does that curse kind of play out on her own daughter? Mm. And we saw at the end there, she said, you know, I'm the queen now. What did you make of that, Shannon? Uh, I'll, I'll still see Nina as the princess. I'm a little upset with what Nina did to Sandra, but I wanted to come into her own even more than she has. I mean, she's been brilliant anyway, but I needed to kind of step into it. Nina, when you get your second win, we'll call you the queen. Until ne- until then, you are definitely part of the monarchy, but I think that the, the ultimate crown will always lie with Sandra. Well, we were sad to see her go, but luckily enough, Abba and George got to sit down with Queen Sandra after she was eliminated. Hello, everyone. Hello. Welcome, Queen Sandra, to Australian Survivor Talking Tribal. It is an absolute delight for me to have you today, and welcome. Thank you, George. Thank you, King George. The pleasure is all mine. Sandra, I have so many things I want to pick your brain about, so we might as well get straight to it. The first question that I want to ask you is how familiar were you with Australian Survivor before you got that call? I actually had started watching the season that Russell was on, Champions versus Contenders, and then I was hooked. But then I went back when they called me to rewatch everything because I knew there would be one or two people also returning to the game, but I didn't know who. So I wanted to see, try to memorize what specific things certain players did, you know, and then try to figure it out, read spoilers as to who may be out there, because I thought it was going to be Benji. So then I always go back and listen to the podcast too and listen to the interviews about things that they've done but didn't get put on TV, just so you could really be prepared for these players, you know. But I had watched all the seasons. What brought you back to play Survivor again? Was there a particular appeal in playing Australian Survivor rather than US Survivor? There was no appeal to playing Australian Survivor because it's way long, too many more people to deal with, too many more personalities, half the money, and then the challenges (laughs) are ridiculous. So there was zero appeal. Up until they said, well, hey, it's a blood versus water. You bring a loved one. And I was like, oh, my God, this is Nina's chance to finally play the game that she loves and she grew up watching. What makes Australian Survivor and its players different to your experience in U.S. Survivor? Everything from the elements, from the extreme heat, extreme cold at night, to the players being so nice, so friendly, yet they prioritize strength. Above anything, Mm. the challenges to me on the American version, they get easier as the days go by, you know, and in Australian Survivor, they just got harder and harder and harder. I remember right before I sat out for the sandbags on the challenge previous to that, 
I hurt my ankle and I didn't tell a soul. And I used sitting out of that challenge to rest my foot. And then we had an off day too. So I needed those two days to, to get whatever kink in my ankle I needed to out. And I was walking very slow, but I never gave it away that I was in a little bit of pain. I've never broken a bone in my body, but I knew that I just couldn't force anything on my ankle. And it was just the two days that I needed to rest up and then start going again. I like, I'm already awful at the challenges. Imagine me limping around, but I didn't tell anyone. I didn't tell the doctors. I didn't tell nobody nothing. I was like, I'm going to stay because I need to beat the day 16 curse. I think that was a really smart decision. Speaking of the day 16 curse, Sandra, let's go back to night 16. It's tribal council. You're being thrown questions from JLP and you had that moment where you turned around and you looked your daughter Nina in the eye and you thought to yourself, what? Did you think your goose was cooked? What was going through your mind when your daughter couldn't look you back in the eye? Well, it was a, a sign to me that I just felt like, oh, oh, this is out of her control. There's nothing she can do because I had told her, I said, baby, don't jeopardize your game. You can't play it alone. You need an alliance. You need a strong alliance. And if there's no way that you can save me, I don't want you to write down someone else's name and then have to deal with them back at camp after tribal council. I said, if you, if there's absolutely not, like, if you ain't got no idol, you can give me to save me, then so be it. So I wasn't upset with her. And, you know, Jordy kept saying, stick to the plan guys, because I was giving it to him. Like we were out there for over two hours. I was like, Jordan, you know, that me and you have been tight. You know, I'm telling Josh, like, yo, me, me and your cousin, we were good. Matt, me and Sam were good. We were solid. I didn't say anything about Amy or Dave because they were already on the outs with me. Uh, Mel, I was like, Mel, me and Michelle, we were like, like this, you know what I'm saying? Like trying to say, please guys, give me the opportunity for you to get to know me because once the tribe swap happened, we went into the challenge, the next day was immunity and then it was tribal council. So they didn't have a, I didn't have 15 days with them like I had with my other tribe where little by little, I got to know everyone. And I felt like, okay, I got my foot in the door because that's what I need. I need my foot in the door. But I looked at Nina. She wasn't looking back at me. Jordy was talking smack, talking about stick to the plan, guys, stick to the plan. And I'm like, who the hell is he looking at? So I could look at who, you know what I'm saying? Guys, don't do this. Like, don't do this. Like, there's no need, you know, this is one-sided. This is only to benefit one person. There's no way that this move benefits every single person here. And why do they feel like they have to vote me out to build a resume? I don't get it. I don't get that either, Sandra. I don't think I would have targeted you there, but the players in your tribe did. Um, you've spoken a lot about basically preparing Nina for that moment when she didn't have another choice. How does that really compare playing with your daughter with your experience when you played US Survivor the previous four times, particularly the two times that you won? I think it's easier when you play alone because whatever you do only impacts your game. Anything I do impacts her game as well, you know? Especially when a loved one comes over to get information from our camp and they're, you know, like just every little thing could be changed up and now she's a target. And it was bad enough we showed up in a damn helicopter. That was not by choice. And I was like, Nina, we're going to be fine because unless we tell people we're together, I don't think anybody's going to know because... <laughs> We're not just going to come in together, you know, like don't tell anybody what your last name is or whatever. 
And what happens? We show up on a helicopter after they've been standing out there for 20, 30 minutes, baking in the sun, waiting for Oprah to arrive. <laughs> it was an uphill battle the entire time, but it was doable for me. You know, I just, I didn't want me being who I am to impact or change her game. And I told her from the beginning, baby, you got to play your own game. And if there's no way you can save me, then so be it. You know what I'm saying? Like I wasn't going to hold anything against her. I knew I was going to be a target. She knew I was going to be a target. It didn't help that we showed up on a helicopter. Um, I was hoping that we'd both come into the game pretending like we didn't know each other. And then they're all standing there waiting for us. As the helicopter comes over and I thought we were going to the next location to take more publicity photos, not that the game was going to start. And all these people are cheering and looking up at the helicopter. And I'm like, oh, my God, Nina, the game starts now. Like I had a horrible feeling in the pit of my stomach, butterflies, diarrhea, you name it. I felt it. And I was like, oh, my God they're going to see us together. Like this is the worst case scenario. So yeah, if they ever call me back, two things can't happen. I can't show up on a helicopter. Well, don't even call me and no tribe swaps. I'm over it. All right. I hope the survivor gods are listening, but please, um, hopefully they give you a call back, Sandra. We've spoken a lot about Nina. Clearly you taught her very well. She's your daughter. She's lived through the whole survivor experience with you. She's been there for 16 days. Is there a moment of hers that you're most proud of so far? I think every single time that I battle her at, at the challenges or even she battles other people, I'm just amazed at how strong she is. Like I said, she gets it from her father. He's strong. 30 years in the army, you can't be a weak person. But she amazes me every single time. And I think she read the room correctly at Tribal Council. She definitely read the room you know, she found out last minute that it was going to be me. I was off doing an interview. So I came back and there was only minutes before we went to tribal. There was nothing that I could have possibly done um, because there's nothing I won't attempt to do to save my own neck, but it just wasn't in the cards for me. But every single time, you know, and, and just remember you were out there, you know that, yeah, they show, like I, I was reading where the fans were like, Sandra loses every time she goes up against Nina. Why don't they just put her on the sit out bench and not have her participate? Well, guess what? Everybody participates. If not once, sometimes twice, you know, but they just pick the best ones out, you know, to put on TV, but I'm proud of her. I really am. And that's not all me. She has her own brain, you know, you know, when she was a kid, she was a sponge. She was absorbing everything. And we love watching Survivor. Let's think about the rest of this game moving forward. Who do you consider to be the biggest threat? And who do you think the most likely person to win is? I usually don't pick my my favorites or the threats until merge, you know, and there's there's only six people out so far. You know, it's 24 people you start off with. I can only speak on the people on the opposite side, you know, like like Sam, for instance. She played me good because she wrote my name down at that first tribal. <laughs> I, me, I was going at it with Dave. Look, if you could be a fly on the wall, George, let me tell you. You know, me and Dave hashed it out and we talked about it. And when I finished talking to Dave that night after the, no, the next day, I came back and the girls were like, what do you say? What do you say? And I'm like, look, I just had a heart to heart with him. I don't think he wrote my name down. And Sam was like, oh, you know this and you know that. Da, 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 da. And now my wheels are spinning again. Like, oh, he's trying to get the best of me or whatever. 
But now I know better. I know what she's about. But he was spot on when he said she's a little butterfly that jumps from bed to bed and she's always in everyone's ear. And a lot of the times the returning players are the ones with the most to prove and the ones that know the game the best. So I'm going to speak on the behalf of Sam because she's the one that I ended up playing with. I only spent 24 hours with her husband one night. That was it. We swapped tribes. We did the challenge. We spent the night together. And the next day I was gone. I really didn't spend any time with him. So I don't know him. But as far as who I think is playing an awesome game, I would have to say it's Sam. Yes, it has been quite exciting watching that. A personal favorite of mine was every time you would say an eye for an eye about Juicy Day. And then it was Sam. Moving on from that. Let's talk about you, Sandra. You're the queen of Survivor. What is next for the queen of Survivor? Retirement. My husband just <laughs> retired with 30 years in the army. We got a travel van. We want to see the parks in the United States. We want to drive all the way up to Canada if they'd open the bridge and, um, you know, just, just enjoy life. And that's what I was doing before too. You know, I do my cameos. I do my memos make my little side money. But other than that, I'm just chilling. I'm relaxing. No more survivor in my veins. That's it. I'm just chilling, making my silly TikToks. It sounds like you're living a good life there, Sandra. I don't stress, you know, and, and, and people that know me will tell you, like, I'm always penny pinching, clipping coupons. I don't, you know, try to live an extravagant life. I'm just a regular, the regular person next door. You know what I'm saying? If you give me an opportunity I'll make you my best friend. And I know a lot of the Australians were turned off by all the queen stays queen stuff. But I promise you, George, when I'm out there at camp, I'm not sitting there reminding everyone, I'm the queen, I'm the queen. That's just me talking crap for the interviews. And even then, I don't always queen, 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 queen. You know, it's I'm not like that. If anything, I try to deflect from it. I try to stay away from it. Like, no, guys. Sandra, I'm really interested as a U.S. player, who do you think the next U.S. player that could play Australian Survivor would be? Oh, my God. Let me tell you, I went to Hearts of Reality and everyone knew from the from, you know, spoilers that I was on U.S. Survivor and so many people from winners to people that made it to the end and didn't win. Everybody wants to sign up for Australian Survivor. So if I had to put a list together, I could probably find you about 60 people within an hour <laughs> that would be interested in playing Survivor. Well, maybe we'll need that list in the future. I want a cut. <laughs> if we give you a cut, will you come back to our game or? George, I can't. George, you know, you're doing CrossFit now. I need to take my butt and do CrossFit. Like, George, I just can't. It's so hard. I'm 47. I'm not no young buck. You know what I'm saying? Like, it is hard on me. What about the other side of the coin? How do you think Aussie players would go on US Survivor? And who do you think should play? I think anybody that went would do very well because Australian Survivor is way harder, in my opinion, to where U.S. Survivor would be like taking candy from a baby, like they say, you know, just a walk in the park. You know, you, Haley, uh, Luke, all of you guys could go, David, um, send them all over there, Moana, anybody, send them all. Lee, um, who am I missing? Matt, I don't know. Oh, the skier, the skier, the the... The little one, the little uh, with the black hair that, what's her name? Lydia? Lydia, yes. Oh my gosh, she blew me away when she put the weights by her legs and was doing the monkey bars. I was like, I can't even do one rung on a monkey bar. Lydia. 
your time in Australia, is there anything that the Queen of Survivor has learned and is taking back to North Carolina? You know, just that I have a love for Australia. Um, usually I come out of a season hating a couple of people or at least one. There's not a person out there that I have any, you know, animosity towards. Even Jordy, you know, like, hey, you, you, he was playing his game, whatever. Like, I hate that he was the one that brought up Sandra when we could have gotten rid of Mel. Mel had a damn wrap around her ankle for the past five or six days, not competing in the challenges because her ankle was still messed up. But I actually loved being in Australia. I enjoyed playing the game. It was my redemption after my debacle in Winners at War. I needed that. Everyone treated me with such kindness, courtesy. You guys are really nice compared to how we are. <laughs> I really enjoyed myself. All right, Sandra, is there anything else that you would like to add here on Australian Survivor Talking Tribal? Um, I got a kick out of hearing Croc tell Chrissy. Sandra told me, if you get an idol, don't tell anyone. You know, like <laughs> I was like, oh, Croc was listening. I enjoyed my time there. Every night we talk and I had them believing that if they wrote my name down, that they'd either get to the end, but not win or go way before me. So I was hoping they'd show more of me lying about, hey, don't write my name down unless you're ready to go home. But I guess it was for nothing because at the last tribal council, Dave didn't think about writing my name down. Amy didn't either. And neither did Jordan. So I guess it was all in vain. And it went in one ear and out the other. But I had them, I thought for a while, they're pretty scared to write my name down at tribal council. Sandra, I, as a viewer and a past Australian Survivor player, absolutely loved watching you play our game, having the American Eagle land and swoop on those rookies was one of the best things I've ever seen. You are a legend, not only of US Survivor, but our game as well. Long live our noble queen. Thank you so much, King George. And look, I don't even know where I get that crap from. I just say things <laughs> that are funny and they just stick. You know, I don't know. Thanks so much for coming, Sandra. I appreciate it. We'll talk again, okay? There you go, George. Mate, what was that like to sit down and have a one-on-one -on -one with Sandra herself? I think it's a childhood dream come true because when I was a 13-year-old boy watching Sandra win Pearl Island, she was my absolute favourite. And then when I... I uh, was walking into the outback telling myself, who is my favourite Survivor player of all time? It's Sandra. So to have the chance to interview the Queen and to pick her brain on her game of Australian Survivor was fantastic. Let's have a moment of silence for our fallen Queen. God save the Queen. <laughs> all right yeah she was great to have on the show but we've still got nina and from the looks of it she's going to be an absolute fierce player of course we've still got a heap of survivor ahead of us blood versus water continues this sunday night at 7 30 on channel 10 don't miss the next episode we've got lots more exclusive blood versus water content only right here on the australian survivor talking tribal podcast Thanks for listening to the Australian Survivor Talking Trouble and Network 10 podcast.